Well, this morning, um, I have a friend, he's a pastor in Salt Lake City. Uh, Daniel and I have been friends for 20 years, and he's uh, been a part of planting churches and ministering to pastors uh, in our denomination, a part of Mission in North America, the same thing our church is part of. And I asked Daniel to come and share with us this morning and preach. And so, Daniel is a dear friend. Daniel, thank you. Good morning. Say thank you to Brad and the session for allowing me to preach. The last time I preached for Brad was probably, I don't know, 08, 09, maybe. And I preached uh, what I humbly thought was a really good sermon on the, uh, the celebration of communion and how lively it should be and how good it should be. Um, but I didn't communicate that to Brad. And he, communi- he did not communicate that to his music people. And so when communion happened, uh, it was the most beautiful funeral march you had, uh, you had ever heard. And um, so I didn't do that this time. I think we're, I think we're okay. Um, but it is good to be here. I'm going to read uh, our passage. So the address is right in your bulletin, but the, the, the words are not correct. Um, and I'm going to blame that on Brett. So, um, so I, I am reading Luke 6, 12 through 19, but it's just a different uh, passage. And look, I mean, you guys got cell phones and pads. Just pull those out. It's fine. All right. Uh, why, why should you hear this? I don't know if you notice this or not, but there's, there's a little bit of division within our country. Uh, just small. And um, it's made its way into the church. And I'm, I'm wondering if the church can be different. Listen to the Gospel of Luke. In these days he, Jesus, went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. And a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem came. And the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him, and he healed them all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your presence in our time together this morning. Please, give us rest in you. Remind us of even as we sit here how much you love us, how good you are to us, how patient and kind Lord, help us to believe it, to know it, to delight in it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I came into town Thursday because uh, Brad and I, and it ended up being Jamie and Kyle and a couple other folks, uh, we went to go see Dave Matthews' band Friday night at the Pavilion. 
Now, before you roll your eyes about me being a Dave Matthews fan, like, look, I'm almost 50, I'm balding, I'm white, like, that's, that's my music. Like, <laughs> maybe U2, maybe Pearl Jam, but like, that's it, that's all I got. And, and so we went, we went to this concert, and, um, and I, I've been to several, and I'm always struck by the diversity that's there at these concerts, even here in Houston. So you, you walk in, and there's, and there's, uh, there's old, there's young kids that were there, there's, there's gay, there's straight, there's black, there's white, and then there's really white. There's Republicans, there's Democrats, and we're all there for one reason, to see Dave Matthews Band. So for three hours, I mean they played for three hours, and all these different people with from all these different backgrounds, all these different beliefs, all these political affiliations, we're all there having the time of our lives. I mean, we're, we're yelling, we're screaming. I'm high-fiving the dude in front of me when you know, our favorite song comes on. And for those three hours, all these different people, there's no arguments, there's no fights, there's no nothing. It's almost like we have been like lifelong friends and we're there to celebrate Dave Matthews. So all of our focus, all of our hearing, all of our seeing, even some of our worshiping is happening together at this concert. And so when I see things like that, I think, I'm like, man, if only, if only in the church there was someone that we would all see and hear and focus on and worship. If only there was someone like that that we could route. Oh, wait. What if we did that around Jesus? What if more than anything else we heard Him, we listened to Him, we followed Him, we gave our lives away for Him, we believed Him, we loved Him more than anything anything else more than our politics more than our our desire to look good for other people more than sports more than our sexuality more than money more than who's president at the time or who's sitting on the Supreme Court. More than being right. What if Jesus was more important than all of those things? Now what Luke does in this passage is he's calling us back to our first love. He's calling us back to Jesus, to make, to make him the center of who we are and what we do. And he does this in three ways. And I just want to say, I'm going to be really top-heavy on the first point, because if you don't get the first point, the other two don't matter. But in these three ways, Luke is calling us back to our first love. We must have communion with Jesus. We must be in community, or have community in Jesus. And then finally, we must be commissioned by Jesus. So communion, community, 
submission. Let's start with verse with communion. Look at verse 12. It says, In these days Jesus went out to pray, and all night He continued in prayer in God. Now these days, it's referring back to earlier in chapter 6, where Jesus has just healed a, a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And He does it in front of the Pharisees, in front, in front of the religious powers that be. And at the end of that section, it says this, And after looking around them all, Jesus said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And He did so, and His hand was restored. And then it says this, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. That happens before verse 12. Verse 13 then, it says, when the day came, Jesus calls his disciples and he chose the twelve. Don't miss this. There's two significant things that are happening here. One is, Jesus has just ticked off the entire religious establishment, and because they care more about rules than they do about the brokenness of humanity, they're starting to think ways of how to kill Jesus. And so now he's threatened. And then after that, he's launching more into his public ministry. He's going to pick these 12 guys to be his apostles. Pretty big decision, right? And so what does he do? What's the first thing he does in between those two things? He goes and he prays all night long. Now, I don't know if you've tried to pray that long or not. I don't. Um, I actually stink at prayer. But it's difficult to ask things, say things. Jesus was fully human, tempted in every way. He would have been the same way. So what's he doing? He's not just asking for things. He's just simply being with his Father. He's just simply being in communion with Him all night long. He, it, it's like He had to do this. And this, this, is a, this is not new. This is a pattern of Jesus. There's often times where it says that Jesus withdraws and He goes to pray. But there's two other times specifically in, in the Gospels where Jesus goes and He communes with His Father. And what does he hear? So the first time is at his baptism. The second time is at the transfiguration. The first time at his baptism, don't miss this, this is before Jesus has done anything. Before he's done anything, before he's said anything, before he's healed anybody. He hasn't done anything. And what does the Father say to him? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He hears the same voice at the transfiguration. So what Jesus needs to hear, and maybe this makes you uncomfortable, but don't, don't argue with me yet. Wait till after the service. Jesus needs to hear His Father say, you are the beloved. Yes, I know you're being threatened. And yes, I know you're about to cha change the world with these 12 guys that we'll talk about in a second. But I am with you. I am for you. What's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't seek relief. He doesn't seek answers. He doesn't seek uh, how he's going to get out of the issue that he's in. He just wanted to be with God. And again, this was his MO. This was how he did things. It, he, he, the, the ministry of Jesus was kind of weaving in and out of communion with the Father, ministry, communion, ministry. And how often do you and I have this backwards? 
We enter into ministry, wear ourselves out doing whatever it is, and then we go spend time with God because we're burnt out. What if we flip that? What if we started with communion? What if we as a people were identified not by what we do, but who we are? And you and I, you, your identity, who you are more than anything else is the beloved of God. And the way that you hear that, the only way you hear that and know that is to just sit and be quiet and commune with your Father. It's what you were created for. Think about it for a second, okay? So think about the garden and Revelation, the two bookends of Scripture. What made the Garden of Eden paradise? What made it so good for Adam and Eve? The presence of God. That's, that's what they were created into. And then in Revelation 21, where this beautiful picture of the new heavens and the new earth coming down like the bride of Christ. What, what makes the new heavens and the new earth? The new heavens and the new earth is the presence of God. So in Revelation, John says this. He says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. So the bookends of Scripture are all about what it means to be in communion with God. This is what you were created for, and this is what we're going to spend eternity doing. And so everything in between then tells the story of how we try to seek communion in everything other than Jesus himself. And that even in the midst of that, Jesus comes after you. He pursues you. Because who you are is his beloved. More than anything else. Think about it through the scriptures with me really, really quick. You are my beloved, and I am with you, Abraham. Go, go be a blessing to all the nations. You are my beloved. I am with you, Moses. Go free my people from Egypt. You are my beloved. I am with you, Joshua. Do not be afraid. You are my beloved, and I am with you, Israel. Go and show the world what I am like. You are my beloved. I am with you, David. Go and rule the world. And so just parenthetically, just think about David and the Psalms. And there's so many Psalms where he says stuff like, Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly, I seek You. I seek You as a deer pants for the water. I pant for You. That's what drove David. You are my beloved. I am with You, church. Go and change the world. It has to start with this communion. Knowing who you are. Knowing that you are the beloved. Knowing it's what you were created for. So one writer says this. He says, dear friends, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. What is said of Jesus is said of you. What is said of Jesus is said of you. The Father says to Jesus, this is my beloved. In Him I'm well pleased. 
I know this can be hard to affirm. You're the beloved daughter. You're the beloved son of God. Can you believe it? Can you hear it not only in your head, through your physical ears, but in your gut to where it gets down into the depths of who we really are? Can you hear it so that your whole life can be turned around? Go to the Scriptures and read, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have written your name in the palm of my hand from all eternity. I have molded you in the depths of the earth and knitted you to my mother's womb. I love you. I embrace you. You are mine. You belong to me. Grace Woodlands, can you hear that? Can you rest in that? Look, I've been a pastor for a long time. And I don't know what you think about how God feels about you or even if you think in those ways. But the majority of people that I meet with and whom Brad meets with, at best, at best, they think God is disappointed in them or angry with them or somehow, some way. That is not true. God is not disappointed with you. He loves you. You are His. You belong to Him. And He did everything in Jesus to come after you to prove it. Look, you wrestle with this. I wrestle with this. It's so easy to not believe. It's so easy to forget. This is why Sunday mornings are so important. Because we come together and remind each other of this. But Man, I want you to know this. Jesus is not against you, y'all. He's for you. Now that's the voice we have to hear. And we have to hear it within the church, within this community that Jesus has brought together. We have to, we have to hear that voice here because if we try to hear it in other communities, we're, we're, just, we're never going to hear it. Because if we try to hear from our community that we are loved that we're the beloved, we'll never hear it. All we hear from our communities and whatever community you're a part of, what you'll hear is, is you're not enough. You're, you're not enough of this. You're not enough of that. You don't believe holy this. You don't believe holy that. And if you want to be a part of this community, I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about other communities. If you want to be a part of this community, you've got to start doing more and more. And not only do you have to do more and more, you have to do it in such a way that you are actually noticed by other people. You have to be loud. You have to be divisive. You've got to pick a side so that everyone else will know who and what you are. Is this the way a community in Jesus is supposed to be? A community whose identity is defined by Jesus and Jesus alone? As we listen to the voice call us the beloved, we have to hear that voice because it is the only way we can be a part of this community, the church, to be a part of a community that, that makes no sense. 
Being a follower of the risen Christ means we enter into a community of which we would never be a part of if it were not for Jesus. Let's just be honest. Some of you would not be in the same room with some of the other folks that are here if it were not for Jesus. Your community is in him, and so it doesn't make sense apart from Jesus. Look at verses 13 through 15. It says, when day came, he called his disciples and chose from twelve whom he named the apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Simon, Judas, and Judas the betrayer. What you have to remember, y'all, is that this is not a list of church league all-stars. Hey, these were not the elite. These were not the super spiritual. They all had different backgrounds. They had different temperaments. They all had a different understanding of who Jesus was and what he came to do. They were jealous of one another and sometimes even furious with one another. So Jesus did not look into the crowd of his disciples and saw these 12 outstanding, self-motivated, savvy personnel and said, hey, I want those dudes. No. No. He picked them, I think, because they were so different. And because they had different temperaments and backgrounds. And so look at this list, just real quick. You've got Peter, the betrayer. Andrew, the questioner. James and John, the power seekers. Philip, the how in the world are we going to feed all these people? Bartholomew, who is even Bartholomew? Like, do you guys, have you ever heard of him other than outside of here? You're like, you read his name, you're like, who's that? uh uh Matthew, the tax collector, Thomas, the doubter, James, the son of Alphaeus, who's kind of like Bartholomew, who's never mentioned outside of this list. Actually, the only, time, the only other time he's mentioned is when they're all in the upper room cowering because they're scared to death because Jesus has died. And then there's uh, Simon, who was called the Zealot. Imagine your nickname. Oh, that's the Zealot. That's who that is. Another Judas, son of James, don't know who that is. And then Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. All right, I want to just real quick. I don't know a ton about all these guys, but I want you to think just for a second about two of them. Matthew, the tax collector. And Simon, the zealot. Or political activist, activist, if you will. Because that's what he was. All right, so Matthew worked for the Romans. He collected taxes for the occupying country. Simon, the zealot, hated the Romans and was doing everything he could to kick the Romans out. So in other words, Matthew, he's for big government. Simon... He's for small government. And what Jesus does, he picks these two guys and he says, you know what? That is not going to define you anymore. Your political affiliations, they don't matter. What matters is that you follow me. What matters is that I have called you to follow me. I heard one pastor say that trying to fit Jesus into either political ideal is like trying to fit an NFL lineman into a pair of skinny jeans. 
He just won't fit. Try as we might, He won't fit. And so this is the community that Jesus calls to Himself. This is the community that Jesus is going to go out and change the world. And look, you get it, I get it. Community is hard. It's so hard. It's messy and it's exhausting. But of course it is, because you're in it. You're a part of that community. This is why the fights that my wife and I have in our little small community, like the reason some of the, 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 we have so many big issues is because I'm half of it. Uh, probably 80%, but still. I mean, we're, we're all tired. We're all exhausted. Wendell Berry, one of my favorite writers, he says, we are all living out our small, short, surprising, miserable, wonderful, blessed, damaged, only life. And so it totally makes sense that you and I, we only seek out folks who are like us, that agree with us, that think like us. But is this real community? Is this really what Jesus wanted? Can the church not be the one place, like a Dave Matthews band for crying out loud concert like could the church not be the one place where all these different people come together and I'm look I'm not saying you got to be all buddy buddy and you got to agree with every I'm not saying that but what I am saying is that if we are going to follow Jesus and if Jesus is the most important then we can have these conversations with people we can enter into dialogue with them we don't have to demand some sort of ideal community that doesn't exist anyway. If you've never read Life Together, you've got to read it. Best book on community. Bonhoeffer says the second that you start dreaming about the ideal community is the second community dies. Because what we end up doing is demanding that community be the way that I want it to be instead of the recognition that community is learning to live with those who are difficult to love. So what about you? Just think for a second within this room, okay? Who is it that you don't like? And be honest. Who is it that you don't like? Who is it that's maybe a little extreme right or left? What, what if you went up to that person and said, hey, can we, can we grab dinner? How about coffee? Don't do it right now because, you know, that might be a little, they might be, wait a minute, you, he said invite someone. <laughs> no, so don't, so don't do it now. Maybe wait a week or two. But is there someone that you could do that with? Can we as a church model what it means to live out our belovedness so that we can see the belovedness in others even if we completely disagree with them about something. And we model them for that. And you have to find this community because we are commissioned together. We're not individualists. We can't do ministry on our own. It doesn't work that way. We wish we could. I wish I could. I wish I was a Lone Ranger. I need Brad and these other guys in my life. But if we believe that we are the beloved through communion, and if we're willing to enter into community with one another as the beloved, we are then commissioned 
to go and do ministry. Look at verse 17. And he came down with them, stood on a level place, the great crowd of his disciples, and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. Now remember that Luke is a physician. Right, he's a doctor. So healing is very important to him. And so throughout the Gospel of Luke, I think it's like 24, 24, 25 chapters, Luke talks about healing 20-something times. And you can read the other Gospels and you see it. Like, Jesus is healing people. This is one of the ways he shows who he is. Jesus, in his love and his compassion, you see this a lot, he was brokenhearted because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on the people. He just, I, I love the way this ends. It says, power came out from him and he healed them all. There wasn't anyone that he pushed away. There wasn't anyone that said, nah, can't heal you. You voted for Trump, I can't heal you. You voted for Biden, I can't heal you. He healed them all. And they came to him because there were no qualifiers. There was no moral checklist. Y'all, the goal of Christianity is not moral behavior. The goal of Christianity is to be in communion with Jesus and know that you're loved. Jesus healed them all, and so it brought the troubled, the angry, the demon-possessed. I want to remind you that there is absolutely no aspect of your humanity that Jesus is not willing to heal. There is nothing about you, nothing inside of you that Jesus looks at and is like, ugh. No thanks. No. Every aspect of who you are. Jesus says, bring that to me. Come on. Bring it. Let me heal. Maybe not physically. Maybe not. <laughs> Certainly not in the timing that you want to. But he will heal. Do you think the church, if we lived out of belovedness, if we lived in community, do you, do you think it's possible that the church might be known more for its healing than its hurting? Just what if? What if we operated more out of a sense of how messy our community really is? How desperate we are to hear the, the voice say that you are the beloved Do you think that might make a difference? Do you think we might be known more for healing than hurting? I'll end with this. In my neighborhood, I live in downtown Salt Lake City. 
there's a roundabout, and um, in the process of building the roundabout, they wanted it. They wanted to be artistic. They wanted to, you know, show the uniqueness of our neighborhood. And in the middle of this roundabout, what they built was a 40-foot-tall breached whale. A whale. I live in Utah. It's a desert. It's landlocked. And they put a whale. And it's a big old honking thing with its fins. Like one person said, I, I feel like I'm going around the roundabout and I'm getting a big hug from a whale. Like, <laughs> my neighborhood is very diverse. All sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of beliefs, all sorts of different things. And me and a buddy who, he's not, he's not a believer, but he's a dear friend. He loves the whale. I think it's ridiculous. And we were sitting outside of it, just staring at it, looking at it, talking about all the pros and cons of it. And it finally, I think it hit him. He said, you know, we live in this really different neighborhood, this really diverse neighborhood, all sorts of different beliefs. But nobody's talking about all that stuff. We're all talking about the whale. It's like we forgot all the things that divided us, and now we're talking about this, this thing. I, again, I just can't help but wonder, like if we believe that Jesus is really opening his arms wide to you, to this world. And that is what we focus on, and that is what we talked about. What that might mean for a world that desperately needs healing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word, your goodness, your grace, your patience, your presence with us. Lord, please uh, come and do in us, in your church, only what you can do. We pray in Jesus' name.